0: On March 8th, 2022, while returning from an off-roading adventure in Baja, California, Mexico, I was arrested at a military checkpoint when they found my 40 caliber pistol that I had misplaced in my truck. I was arrested for the next 58 days. My wife and family were manipulated, extorted, and lied to. This podcast is that story. Episode three, things look like they're coming together, but looks can be deceiving. In our first podcast, we had my wife, Megan, telling her part of the story. It was a little abbreviated, so I've asked her to elaborate. The following story we're going to listen to is her experience from my first court date when things seem to be put on a five-day hold with the hope of good things happening in the next court date.
1: It's Friday, March 11th, the day after the first trial. Jane and I drive back to Vegas to collect all of the documents and paperwork that the attorney had asked us to get together. This includes letters of recommendation from friends and business associates, proof showing that he's a successful business owner and that Bill's needed back in Vegas, pictures of the service projects that we've done in Baja during our previous rides, Bill's service for five years as bishop for our church, all the service that Bill has done in our community and for the schools in Mexico. I spend all day Saturday getting all of this together. Sunday, the next day, Jane and I turn right around and drive back to spend the night in Calexico. I had also been talking to another US attorney who had reached out to me because we have several friends by way of our church. He's out of San Diego and has worked in Tijuana and he's also been trying to help me by talking to Sarah, the attorney, on three-way throughout these first few weeks. He's reassuring me that she's doing things the right way and that she sounds knowledgeable and capable. This helps me to feel like I have, in fact, made the right decision. Just so that you understand, Sarah does not speak any English, so this has taken a huge burden off of me having somebody able to translate. Sarah wanted us there Monday, so that they could go over all of the documents and get their case together. She was working with another attorney who spoke English. His name was Augustine. As I mentioned, Sarah only spoke Spanish, so communication with her was hard any time that she would have information to give me. I would need to get either Paris, Bill's friend, on a three-way phone call, or Diana, Jane's daughter-in-law, who also spoke Spanish, and then they would do their best to translate. I did my best to keep notes, but things were happening pretty fast. Before we meet up with Sarah Monday morning, I get a call from another good friend of Bill's, Jason, and he knows a wealthy guy in Mexico. He drops a name, and I take note of the name, but I don't want to make any big changes right now. I've already moved forward with this plan. In Mexicali, we follow Sarah over to their office, where we sat down with her and Augustine and gave them all of the documents and pictures that I had gotten together regarding Bill. They're going to try to get Bill on an abbreviated trial, which they will show that he had no ill intent, that the gun belonged to him and was accidentally left in his truck, that he is a business owner and was needed back in the States, and that he was terribly sorry. I'm told he would pay a fine and should be able to go home at that point. I do mention Jason and his wealthy connection, and both lawyers know the name. They seem impressed and tell me that it could benefit Bill after this second trial. Sarah had told me that I would see Bill on Monday, so I was looking forward to seeing him. But after my meeting with her and Augustine, she told me I would not be getting to see him on Monday and that they couldn't make it happen. But I'd be able to go to his second court date and see him there. Jane and I get ready to head back across the border to Calexico to spend the night. We're outside of the jail, parked, and my car won't start. battery had died. So we're directly outside of a prison in Mexico. It's probably 10 o'clock at night. It's dark. There's a light maybe 200 yards away. Everything is broken down and dilapidated. I'm told that this is a very safe area of Mexicali just because you are next to the prison, but I don't feel safe. We don't have jumper cables. I'm not prepared for this, and we're not really sure what we're going to do. The attorney gets on the phone with a friend that lives not too far away, and they're trying to track down some kind of help for us. A gentleman pulls up in front of us and hops out and tries to give us a hand. I I believe he was in a taxi. He also didn't have jumpers, so we were there for probably 30, 45 minutes just waiting in the dark for uh, the attorney's friend to show up with some jumper cables. And she did end up getting our car started. So that was a blessing, but it just added to the stress of the situation. And that was the first of three times that my car battery would die while we were crossing the border into the States. Jane and I end up crossing back over into Calexico on Monday, and we spend the night there. And then Tuesday afternoon, we cross back over into Mexicali to meet up with Sarah before the court.
0: And you think at this point, you're going to the court, you're going to go to court, see me there, and all that.
1: That's what I've been told. So as it gets closer to that time that Bill will be headed to the courthouse, we find out that Sarah will not be going to court.
0: So Sarah will not. You're under the impression Sarah's representing me in court.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And you find out last minute, like, well, I'm actually not going to court with him today. We have other attorneys going to court for him today. Right,
1: And it makes sense because Augustine speaks English. And so he was going to represent Bill since Sarah only speaks Spanish. Um, I find out, and I had been told this whole time that I was going to get to go to the courthouse and be there. and, And then I find out that I'm not allowed to go to the courthouse as I had been promised. The attorney, Sarah, ends up taking Jane and I to a restaurant and we sit down and we have some dinner while Bill's in court. And we wait. We wait to hear from Augustine. And I'm starting to feel very anxious as we wait. And I'm sitting in the restaurant and I'm eating a nice dinner while my husband's freedom is in the hands of a stranger. I'm starting to question my decision. I'm getting annoyed because I'm promised that I'm going to see him. I'm promised that I'm going to get to be there. And then none of this is, none of these things are, are coming to pass.
0: Now, meanwhile, the reason you're not allowed to come see me at court is because of COVID protocols. That's what they say. Correct. And then I'm in a prison cell with 18 guys at this point. There's not a mask between the lot of us, but you're not allowed to see me because of COVID protocols. And I don't know this, I just know that you're not in the courtroom, so I'm a little confused at this time.
1: So we're sitting there, we're just having a conversation, but I'm anxious, and we're waiting to hear from Augustine. I get a call from Bill's friend, Jason, and he tells me that he has an attorney that can get Bill out in a couple of days. He wants $2,000 as a retainer, and it should cost about $25,000. I am so confused right now. I tell Jason that if this guy can actually get Bill out in two or three days, then I'm on board. But I don't want him to do anything right away because I still haven't heard anything from Augustine. As I'm on the phone with Jason, Augustine calls on the other line and I answer. And it's at this point that he tells me that the judge has given the 60-day investigation. I'm sick and I'm angry and I'm frustrated This is not what I'm hoping to hear, 60 days. I'm thinking I can't, like I can't do 60 days. So at this point, I'm annoyed that I wasn't able to go to court. I'm annoyed that he's not going to be getting out anytime soon. The plan is still to go and visit him that evening. And I'm happy about that. But if Jason can get him out in two or three days, then I'm changing. So I call Jason back and I tell him to give the attorney the retainer. I'll pay Jason back later and to move forward with that attorney. Jane and I follow Sarah over to the prison from the courthouse so that I can spend some time with Bill.
0: Now, Sarah has to go into the courthouse before. Sarah's explained to you that she knows the person that runs the prison now. So even though he's there, it's not a bad thing. She she knows a person there. And by her knowing this person there, you may get early access to visit me, which is typically not allowed, but because you're from the States, they may make an exception because you had to travel across the border. This is kind of the way she's laid it out to you.
1: So uh, on our way to the prison, we're following Sarah and Jane's driving and she accidentally runs a stop sign. The stop signs are really hard to see there and she comes pretty close to hitting a guy and he's not happy about it. And so the guy flips around and he comes back to us as we're getting pulled over by the police. Uh, The guy in the car gets out, and he is yelling in Spanish at Jane, and he's really upset. The police officers are trying to ask us questions, but neither one of us speaks Spanish, and then Sarah flips around and comes back, and she tries to intervene.
0: So luckily, Sarah catches in the rearview mirror that you guys have been pulled over.
1: Right. So at this point, emotions are high, and it feels like it's been one complication after another, and Jane, my rock, starts crying. And I just feel bad that I've put her through the ringer. Like she's been so good at just being by my side and, and now it's wearing on her as well. Um, so Sarah is talking to one of the police officers while the other officer is trying to get the angry guy to leave. And finally the angry driver leaves and Sarah gets the police to let us go. And we're able to get back on the road towards the prison. Uh, it's pretty late now and the main entrance to the prison is closed, and it looks like no one is there. And so now I'm feeling like, well, I'm maybe not gonna get to Seville after all. It looks like the prison's just closed down. And nobody's there. And Sarah and I walk up to this large gate, and she's knocking on the gate, and there's nobody there. And finally, an officer kind of peeks his head through and gets Sarah's information. And we show him our IDs, and, and he lets us he lets us in. He opens up the gate and lets us in.
0: So there's a prisoner in there by the name of Mike, and he's, he's been utilized as the translator because he was raised in Yuma, Arizona. One of these kids that came over as a baby, didn't know he wasn't a citizen, gets in trouble, gets deported to Mexico, where only he has grandparents there. He gets mixed up with some drugs, and he gets arrested. But now he's, he's the translator. As far as prisoners go, to some degree, he has his run of the organization. He can go kind of anywhere and everywhere. How do you guys connect with him to give him money to let me get access to a phone, to bring me some toothpaste and some stuff like that? How how does that come about?
1: I'm brought to a window Mm -hmm. with a telephone on each side, and it's at this point that I first meet Mike.
0: So when Mike came to the cell to take me to the window, because Mike comes and gets the prisoners and takes them to the phone calls— his English is super good. I'm like, "What's your story?" And we kind of hit it off. That's when we're trying to figure out. He says, "No, you're not going to have money on your stuff for a couple of weeks." And so he says, "Well, you guys can put money on my books, and then I can get Bill whatever he needs if he needs some deodorant because he's not going to get anything on this on the first floor that he's here, and that's when you guys decide to put nineteen hundred pesos on his books. Oh, okay, and you come to see me
1: mm-hmm.
0: I know when I see you, I can tell that you've been you've been up looks like you haven't gotten any sleep in a week and you look like you've lost 10 pounds and you're at stress level 10. And all I can think is I've got to let her know to not keep freaking out about this because it's going to be okay. Like whatever's going to happen, like don't worry about me physically in here. I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But I just need you to, I mean I need you to get things handled, you know, as much as you can with whatever you can. And and this whole time, I'm trying to go through my head of who you should be calling and talking to, you know?
1: Yeah. I was able to bring a pad of paper and a pencil. And so I remember that was the first, like when I first come to the window, it's all business. And you're just telling me like what needs to happen in the business.
0: Yeah, this is what's happening. These deadlines are coming up. These bills need to get paid. This money needs to be collected. Mm
1: -hmm. After I finish taking those notes, then we start talking about like the family and how everyone's doing and how everyone's holding up.
0: And how does my demeanor change when we start talking about the family?
1: You get more emotional. And I was just holding on to hope that it was going to happen fast.
0: Because now you're feeling like somehow Sarah's not who she's, her organization does not have the ability to get me out like they said they could get me out.
1: Right. So I just, I wanted to know how you were holding up. And I was reassuring you that there's a plan in action and that I was feeling good about it.
0: And at this point, you're already being elusive because Sarah's there. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get into too much detail with that. Mm-hmm. So you're not being really specific. Right. You're like, don't worry. I'm working, on other, I'm working on other things also. Right. Trying to tell me while she's there that you're also coming up with a B plan.
1: Yeah. And then it's at this point when you just reassure me that not to worry about you. And then it's just like hanging out with 15 teenage boys And that's what brings me comfort because I know that's just like you to say something like that. And we get to spend about an hour and a half together that night. So that was a a blessing, definitely.
0: We kind of run out of things to talk about. It's kind of like we both know nothing can happen right now. We've discussed what we need to discuss. We can just sit here and get more frustrated looking at each other, knowing that we can't do anything about it. And there's really nothing else to discuss at this point. We can't hold hands, we can't do anything, and it's late already, and this is a special favor for you to come in to see me at this point. Mm -hmm. No, No one, so to be clear, no one in the holding cells is allowed to have visits. You can't have visits for two weeks. So as much as Sarah didn't do, she did do some things that wouldn't normally be able to be done by getting, by having some connections. And that's really maybe the underlying tone here is that in Mexico, if the attorney you have is not connected or knows people or has some sort of social interaction with other people or networking connections, you're going to have a tough time getting in to see people and getting in to bring my supplies or any of that kind of stuff. Is this the time, is this when you guys drop off my supplies?
1: It had to have been after because... We didn't know you were going to be there for 60 days before then.
0: Right, that you guys are collecting my supplies and all that stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so then at this point, this is when I walk out of the large gate of the prison. Um, But it's at this point when Jane approaches me right away and tells me I need to make a phone call. And she gives me my phone back and shows me who I need to call and sends me walking away from the vehicles while she keeps Sarah busy.
0: Now you're outside the jail. Now
1: we're outside the jail. You're
0: outside the jail, outside of your car on the phone. Mm -hmm. This is a terrible, terrible area to be in.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I I don't even know if I'd walk around this area at nighttime. And so you're just so hyper-focused on getting me out. You're not even, you're completely ignoring the surroundings and you don't even care. You're just on the phone like mission number one, get me out. Yeah. So you get a phone call from someone in Las Vegas
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and they say to you what?
1: They say to me that they're a friend of a friend, that they have a connection in San Diego. He's well known in San Felipe and he's got a lot of money. They
0: just keep trying to build his credibility to you. Like, don't worry, this guy is the guy of guys. He's connected. He He knows all the political people down there. He's done so much for the city of San Felipe. And all they're doing is layering on and layering on his credibility to you.
1: Yeah, and this is the this is the guy, if you listen to the first episode where I say, he promises, you know, we can fly him over in a helicopter. We were gonna do it tonight, but we thought we'd give it another day. So they're making me think it's gonna happen like t- the next day or within a couple of days. They're like, giving
0: you the impression that things are already in motion behind yeah, the scenes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, And so I'm like, okay. And they don't ask me to do anything.
0: Right, they don't say, what's his name? What's his case number? They they don't ask for anything. They're just like, this is already happening.
1: Right. Giving you more
0: hope. Like, wow, this is a miracle. Prayer's answered.
1: Yeah. I'm just like, whoa, okay, well. And then he just says, hold tight. Wait for this person's call. He'll be calling you right away. Wait for Mr.
0: San Diego. Mr.
1: San Diego. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing that you have to look at the big picture of it. Like from my point of view... I'm working with Sarah. I've got this plan in action. I'm waiting to hear from Augustine. I have Jason reaching out to me with this guy in Mexico. Another attorney. And then another, first this guy in Mexico that has money. And then he found another attorney that can get him out in two or three days is what he's telling me. And then I have this text message from my Las Vegas connection that says, major things in play for Bill on my end at the highest levels, favors being asked, My guy in San Diego is a major, major guy, and we're speaking to officials and chief of police. He's saying 10 to 15,000 to get him out and bring him across the border. Then once home, can work to get the case dismissed. That was at 5.05 p.m. Then I get another text at 5.48 p.m. same night, Tuesday, from my Las Vegas connection. It says, I'm at the highest levels with my San Diego guy and my boy Antonio, I don't know who that is, billionaire, whose mom is the richest woman in Mexico. Favors are being asked at the highest levels on my end. He said in the first 24 hours after the arrest, it would have been a phone call and favor to release for free. But he's in the system, so it's a little trickier. All I can say, I'm at the highest levels, none higher.
0: So this was giving you this incredible amount of hope like holy crap
1: like these are this
0: 60 days is not even gonna happen Mm -hmm. these are big deal people that are working behind the scenes and Bill's getting out real soon like this attorney doesn't even know that I've got people way bigger than what she knows what we're doing and they're gonna get Bill out yeah so the contrast of your emotions of now being super devastated when they call you like hello miss Megan yes they judge is very angry with Bill and give him 60 days. He asked for 90, but we get down—we get it down to 60. Like this is his English that he's mm-hmm, speaking to you. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit butchered. It's not fluid and clear. And all you know is that you're, he's trying to tell you to feel good about 60 days because they wanted to give me 90 when they promised you maybe two weeks I'd be out. Mm-hmm. So, so now you were just disappointed and frustrated because you had heard I'd gotten 60 days 60 days until my case would be heard again Mm -hmm. not till it's done until i could go to court again to go to trial right and then you get this phone call that these people are moving mountains and doing all this stuff billionaires richest person in mexico at the highest levels none higher these are all the guarantees you're being told Mm -hmm. right right and so you're headed back to Las Vegas crossing the border and you're feeling a little bit better about things like you don't know what's gonna happen. You just know that you've been really focused on your faith quite a bit. Every night praying more than you've ever prayed for me to be released. And you think that it's making sense to you that these are prayers being answered.
1: Right, yeah. And so I get connected with the Vegas connection outside of the prison and he's telling me to wait for-
0: The call. The from call. Mr. San Diego. From
1: Mr. San Diego. and. I get a text from him first and he says, it's Mr. San Diego, call me, trying to help you and your husband. I'm a friend of the Las Vegas connection. He says, also a political friend of mine is going to call you named Joshua. He will be speaking to key people in Baja to help you. Make sure and pick up your phone, thanks. And then an hour later, I get a text from Mr. Baja, we'll call him. And he says, "Uh, hi, Megan, this is Mr. Baja. I'm San Diego, San Diego is a good friend and he's reached out with concern regarding the misfortunate event that happened to your family in Mexicali. I'll be talking to the state governor and attorney general tomorrow morning to start working on getting your husband back to you and your kids ASAP. For now, please keep your lawyer, whomever, out of this information until I get any additional information from what the negotiation is. And then I will personally contact her with the instructions from the state directors.
0: So now this guy in Baja has told you he's going to leave your attorney doing what she's doing. He's going to work behind the scenes and then he'll let her know what to do to get me out. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking like, okay, okay, this is on autopilot.
1: Right. And then he says, Mr. San Diego also gave me the information on your valuables. I will have more information after I speak to this people tomorrow. Stay safe for now and let me know if you need anything in Mexicali. That all happened on Tuesday.
0: Tuesday, March 15th. March 15th. And then 16th, you're back in Vegas.
1: Yeah. I always had to be back Wednesday to do payroll. So that was my thing. It was like I'd go on the weekends to visit you as often as I could. And then I had to make sure I was back. Well, and I had family here anyways. I had lots of other work stuff to do. So
0: so that, so that Wednesday, you're back in Vegas to do payroll. That Thursday is when I get moved up, which we heard in the last episode, is when I got moved up to cell 305.
1: Yep. And then this whole time, like every day after that, I was in contact with somebody. I was getting text messages or phone calls. And at first I was like, well, it's not going to happen within two or three days like we had thought.
0: And they're they're being vague. They're never telling you why it's complicated. Mm -hmm. They're just telling you it's more serious than we thought. And so it it can't happen super quick. But instead of two or three days, it might be four or five days Mm
1: -hmm. or a week. Yeah, and this whole time I'm just waiting to hear, like, what my next move needs to be. Like, they're supposed to let me know.
0: Now, why are you told to go to San Diego?
1: So I get a phone call from Mr. San Diego, and he wants me to deliver $20,000 in cash. So you
0: told him, I have it, I'm ready, let me know. And he says...
1: Yeah, and he just said, okay, I'm just waiting to hear from Mr. Baja, I guess. And so then on Friday night, I get a phone call from him... And we make plans for me and Ronnie, my daughter, to travel to San Diego so that we can deliver the $20,000. And we stay in a hotel Friday night. We probably didn't get there until midnight or 1.
0: But he tells you you need to come down. There's a sense of urgency conveyed to you. Like, so he calls you, hey, it's go time. If you have that money, I need you down to San Diego as soon as you can get here.
1: Yeah, and I'm like, now? He goes, yeah, like now, okay. We hurry and pack a bag, and we get a hotel room close to his house. He sends the address. We end up meeting up with him Saturday morning. He tells us to come to his house.
0: Now, you're under the impression when you're called down there, like it's when it's go time to you, it's like bring the money you're getting your husband.
1: Yeah, or like at least things are starting. Like we're going to start making the payments or whatever. So we drive to his house. We meet him face-to-face for the first time. His daughter and his daughter's friend are with him. They're going to go to a little car show, kind of like a Carson Coffee there. And they invite us to come with him. And as I'm talking to him, he tells me we're waiting to get a phone call from Bill with the doctor. And that will let us know that everyone's on board, that everyone's doing what they say they're going to do. And so I'm like, okay, well, I don't know. I guess that's how these things work over there. And so we get breakfast, we're walking around this car show, and he tells us we're just waiting for this phone call. After breakfast, we head back to his house, and we're just waiting. And he kind of shows us around his place, and he sets us up in his living room. He says, you know, watch a movie, just hang out here until you get the phone call. I have some errands that I need to run. If you get the call, while I'm gone, give me a call and let me know. And so we're just like, all right, let's wait for this call.
0: So it's already weird. You're in somebody's house you've never met. They just kind of left you in their house. Mm-hmm. You're not concerned because it's not like the run-of-the-mill house. It's a nice house. It's an expensive house in San Diego. The guy's clearly well-to-do. Mm-hmm. So you feel this level of like, oh, okay, so this guy must be connected because clearly he's got some wealth. And, you know, it's kind of strange the way this whole thing's un- unfurling, but maybe this is how things are done in Mexico.
1: Right. I was under the impression that this was not the first time that they had helped people. Like
0: this is kind of their thing.
1: Mm -hmm. So we watch a movie, it gets over, and Ronnie and I are both kind of antsy. We're just kind of like, why are we just sitting here? And so we leave the house and we go get some lunch, and then we head back to his house. But as we're heading back, I text him and he says that they're going to be at church. He'll be at church with his family for a little while, um, but that they would see us later. When they do finally get home, it's evening and we're still waiting for this phone call. And I, we had not planned on spending another night in San Diego. So we don't have another set of clothes or anything. Um, but he invites us to stay there.
0: He has a casita. He
1: has a casita, like a little guest house thing. And so they set us up in that house and his wife gives us a couple of robes like so that we can shower and have robes to wear. Super nice, super nice family. And we get showered and we're just kind of hanging out in there and we're talking. And then all of a sudden there's this knocking at the door. It's kind of like a panicked knocking. And Ronnie peeks out and he wants to talk to me. And so I go out onto the porch of this casita with him and he's on the phone with his friend out of... Uh At first, he's just talking to him, and he's listening, and then he puts it on speakerphone. And it's broken English, like he speaks English, but it's kind of hard to understand him. And he's talking about that he had just had dinner with the judge, is what he's saying on Mm -hmm. the phone, and that they had agreed on an amount of $70,000 cash. Mr. California kind of asked me if that's something that I'm going to be able to make happen. And with hesitation, like, I'm kind of like, well, I, I probably can. Let me see what I can do. And so he tells me, after he gets off the phone with his friend out of Baja, he tells me to go home tomorrow and get the cash together and then let him know when I have it. And he never takes the 20000 I just drive back home with it. And I remember going inside the, back into the casita right after, and I called Dad, right away, and to see if he would be willing to
0: get help you you with the cash, Uh like get
1: some of the cash out because I had been pooling and redepositing so much, I was feeling nervous about like just that. And he said that that wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. So we just wake up the next morning, Ronnie and I, and it's Sunday. And so we end up going to church. I'm like, do you want to just go to church? Just find a church here and we'll just go to sacrament and then we'll get on the road. And it only took me you know, a day or two to get the cash together because dad went in and helped me out with that. Mm-hmm.
0: And you still, you still haven't heard from the person at the prison, if Bill's going to call, everything's going to be okay, everybody's on board. That never happened.
1: No, it okay. didn't. And that, no, it didn't. Yeah, it says a Monday. So literally like the next day, I let him know that I'm good on my end as far as payment. And he tells me, okay, I'm waiting for instructions on my end.
0: And then Tuesday, you get the phone call. Bill's not doing well. How does that come about?
1: I was waiting to get a call from you because I text the guy out of Baja and I say, I guess I'm not getting a call from Bill today. I'm just worried about him. Do you know how he's doing? And then he says, Megan, I've been on everybody's butt to get this resolved.
0: That's his response. That's it.
1: Mm -hmm. And the next time I hear from him is the 25th. So that was on the 22nd Tuesday. And then I hear from him on the 25th. Megan, I'm flying out to San Diego to meet my San Diego guy tonight. I'll call you after I brief him on the plan. And then it was Monday, March 28th, when I get a call from Mario and the doctor.
0: So on March 22nd is when I get pulled out of the cell. I meet with a person in medical, and they said, Hello, Mr. Vasilios, how are you doing? And all of a sudden, someone asked me how I'm doing, and tears start to stream down my face because somehow this guy knows my name and for some odd reason, he asks me how I'm doing. And he says, oh, I didn't mean to upset you, buddy. So I said, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm, I'm like, I'm now struggling with my two worlds coming together because now I'm being pulled out of my prison state and my real life is starting to come back in. He says, don't worry, don't worry. Mr. Baja's is gonna get you out of here in two, two or three days, he said. He called me and said, whatever it takes, let's get you out of here. How are you doing in your room that you're in right now? I said, no, I'm fine up there, it's okay. He says, do you need a, do you need a cell by yourself? I said, no, I'm, I'm okay with that. And then I go back to my cell with this renewed hope of I'm gonna be out here in a couple days. He says, don't say anything to anybody. I just wanted to let you know, take it easy, relax. Everything's going to be okay. I don't know who this guy is. He gives me this guy's name. I don't know anyone by this name. I think, oh, are you sure it's not Jason? Are you sure the guy's name is not Jason? Thinking it's a friend of mine, Jason, working on it. Because when I, last when I saw you in the prison, I said, call Jason, have him help. I'm thinking at this point, maybe that's what's going on really it doesn't matter i'll find out sooner or later what's happening but all i give a crap is that i'm going to be getting out of here in a couple days and so that's good then i get called back down a few days later on the following thursday and he says hey uh what are you still doing here i thought uh, the guy the guy I talked to said you're going to be out of here in two days and it's been three days now so i don't know what's going on i left him some messages and uh i wait to hear from him and then he asks me he says do you need an attorney I said, I I don't know what I need. My wife told me she's taking care of this. He says, well, I have an attorney that can help you if you need the help. I said, I don't know what I need right now. I need to talk to my wife if possible. Can I speak to, can you call my wife for me? No, I can't call your wife right now. Okay, well, I don't know what I need. He says, well, if you need an attorney, I have an attorney that can help you to get out of here. While this seemed insignificant compared to the strings that could be pulled by well-connected millionaires, little did I know that this might be my only ticket out of here. In the next episode, with good intentions, I get put into a cell by myself, which is maybe not the best thing. This show is hosted by me, Bill Sagrinos. Music and audio engineering are by Ryan Connect. Thanks so much for listening. If you're enjoying this story so far and want to show support, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as that helps us to get it out there. See you guys next week.